Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. I am your host, John Jewett. And I am your co-host, Luke Miller. Our mission is to elevate the physique coaching standard. And deliver the highest level of competitors to the stage. Let's jump into today's episode. Your water cuts are ruining peak week. And if you're a competitor, you might have been there messed up water and get on stage and just don't look quite right. And if you're not a competitor, that's okay. Because I know in this podcast, you might not be competing, but you might be interested in how, what is the verbiage these guys are using with getting dry on stage and why are they trying to get so dehydrated? So we're going to dive into these topics and learn what maybe you should do, maybe what you shouldn't do. And the perfect person to talk to this is Cal Ristrick with team pro coach, which he's led number of pros to stage to the Olympia. This guy has the track record of leading from the front as far as the application and coaching. So you talk about someone that I think you just peak people every single week in Cal. So uh, the, the, the evidence is there of who we should ask about what is going on with water manipulation. So anyway, how's it going, man? What's going on in uh, your neck of the woods? I'm good. We just uh, we just got back from uh, travels. We've actually got a seminar in the UK this weekend. Um, me, Ross, and Zach are doing a, a seminar this weekend, and then we're back off to Ireland. This is like European crunch point in the season in terms of NPC shows. So there's loads of stuff going on over the last if not last month and the next kind of two or three months. And so people know, like Cal, Cal's in the UK, yeah, so that's where he's primarily based out of. So you're just hopping around countries then. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, to be fair, like being based in the UK for Europe's easy because everything's like two or three hours away, and especially for athletes as well. Like, there's it's minimal stress because it will be the. I, th- I think it's the same way you guys are, where they'll have to kind of domestically qualify for the pro qualifiers in the MPC by doing mm-hmm. a domestic show, and then they'll dart around. And there's not many pro qualifiers in the UK, so most of them end up going to Italy, Spain, Portugal, you know, places like that. So. It's um it's fairly easy to navigate because travel is not a not a big thing. It's kind of it's kind of like us being in Texas. Like anywhere in the United States is like a a fairly easy flight, right? So um it's not too bad. I was gonna say I don't really follow travel pages on Instagram because I just follow Cal. Let's see where where Cal is that week. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I wanted you on, Cal, just to talk about managing the peak week because you do it so often, for one. But it also brought up an interesting point around, like, all the flights. Because in Europe, like, a lot of times, like, in the States, we can drive to a show. There's stuff within our state. Imagine with the European countries, you might be flying a bit more back and forth. So I, I, we, I do want to get into, like, the water premise around flying because people are going to ask about that. So let's not forget but just to to kick it off, what is what is your take on just the premise of water manipulation? Like why 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 do it? Not saying like this is your approach, but just what is the idea behind it? Just to give everyone kind of the uh, the background, if you will. Um, so I think that the biggest foundation to refer on first is understanding the importance of you know sometimes trying to shift one percent change is not worth 10 percent effect if that makes sense because it can go both 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 sides of the spectrum and always use the analogy for me if i've got if i've got an athlete ready at 10 14 days out from a show and their morning waking look is what we deem as you know they're in condition and they're they're fairly dry if they're managing stress well and they've been kind of landed landed well over over the last few weeks of the of the of the prep you know, they shouldn't really be holding a lot of fluid subcutaneously at that point. We should have made the manipulations in the prep necessary for them to be in a position a few weeks out where it's like it's a very predictable day-to-day look. So if we're going to manipulate water, we just need to understand what are you actually expecting to happen in that situation? And typically in, in, in these scenarios, I'll work off a premise of having two approaches when it comes to peak week and always trying to refer back to the foundation of the more predictable the approach and the more predictable me taking them through three days out, two days out, one day out stage, the the better the, the response is going to be because there's less error that can be made. 
And I've, you know, don't get me wrong, I've been there in the past where, and I've learned from those situations where I've tried to do too much thinking, I'm going to be able to push them forward another 5% here and separate them in terms of extra conditioning. And it just doesn't materialize on stage in terms of the final look. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of, you know, the scenario of playing with fire there. Um, but I think you've got two main components there. You've got the ability to bring them in from a conditioning spec perspective as dry as possible and minimizing any any retention in that subcutaneous in that subcutaneous space onto stage in the show in the morning of the show. Uh, most UK shows are in AM for the most of the competitors, maybe females sometimes in PM, but most of the most of the, the pre-judging stuff is in the AM for most of Europe and the UK. Um but understanding that when we're delivering that level of response in terms of conditioning and that kind of quote unquote dry, we're not, we're, we're, we're specifically not going to pull away from that intramuscular space because if we pull from the intramuscular space and they start to flatten off as a result of what we're doing, that's when we're starting to get the backstage lifeless physique, no vascularity, no pump, they'll pump up and nothing happens. And then this is suddenly the case of, you'll reintroduce fluid or you might reintroduce a little bit of sodium and the blood pressure bumps up again and they start to come back to life. But you you know, it's a risky situation when you're playing with the, with the case of an hour till stage, half an hour till stage. If you're in a position where you start pumping up 50 minutes full stage and nothing happens, that's your prejudging done. And, and, and you're missing, you're missing points there because the chances are they probably won't do a confirmation round in the evening on the afternoon. So um, typically I'll have two scenarios and, I don't know. I, I I have a rough idea of how Luke plays it, but for a lot of the girls, I'll just use a linear approach where I'll just get them in a conditioning set point that I feel as though is appropriate, whether it's a wellness figure girl or a bikini girl with a, a little bit less muscle mass than a potentially heavier muscle, uh, you know, male athlete that, you know, they're probably going to require a little bit more in terms of feeding. But for a lot of those females, I'll get them ready in that kind of 10 to 14 day out window. And then I'll just incrementally nudge them forwards in regards to nutrition. And the actual electrolyte balance and the hydration will probably not change all that much realistically in the in that space of time. We're just going to keep things consistent and predictable. If they're waking up in the morning, bang on, and they're training at, say, you know, typically if I know a client's going to be on stage at X time for the show that they're doing. I'll get them training around that time frame in the few weeks leading up before the show. So if I know a, a wellness athlete is going to be on stage at 3 p.m., right, we're going to nudge that, If obviously if they can, we're going to nudge that training window towards 3 p.m. and we're going to get you in a position where I know where we feel as though the, be the, the best look comes from subjectively from this amount of nutrition, these amount of meals, this amount of feeding, and this amount of water and this amount of sodium leading into that workout. And you can get very, very good over a couple of weeks over. I've got this all noted down now as to where the most predictable best look is across today relative to when you're going to be on stage for your pre-judging. And it will literally be a case of, well, your show day is now just a training day. And we're just going to do what we've done for the last 14 days because there's no stress there. It's predictable for me. So I know there's going to be no audibles being called last minute and potential stress that's being caused there for the athlete. Um, and you're just dealing with with tangibles that you can control um for for some of those guys i'll have the general thought process that i'm either going to be going into the peak knowing or in a position where i've got the kind of pharmaceutical toolbox available in terms of peaking strategy or i'm going to be going into that peak knowing maybe it's a first show or a regional show where i don't want to kind of go full full send in terms of the peak and potentially risk missing the mark or risk maybe missing the mark for the second show that's in close proximity that's where i'd look at trying to take them on stage with as little manipulation as possible um so no pharmaceutical aid we, we might be using like herbal remedies like uvarasi dandelion vitamin c b vitamins caffeine in small amounts if we're trying to shift that look forwards in terms of conditioning um, but nine times out of 10 in those situations, if I am taking them on stage, say on a Saturday, I'm either going to be putting food at the front, front end of the week and saturating those intramuscular stores, then bringing them back to baseline, just getting a little bit sharper each day into stage, or I'm going to be loading them on the Wednesday and the Thursday where I'm saturating that intramuscular space. And then the Friday I'm going to back off. And that Friday is just going to be an adjustment day where I assess the morning look. I assess them across the day. I pull nutrition back. So we're starting to clear the GI and we're starting to 
just shift back to baseline weight conditioning by default mm. because their feeding requirements are lower. Um, but if I'm going to manipulate, you know, if I'm going to manipulate fluid or sodium at all, I would just use the general rule of thumb that water is going to follow salt in that scenario. And I wouldn't actually change the amount of grammage of sodium or, or liters of water they're having for the day. I would just change the timings in which they're being consumed. So if I knew a client was on stage early in the morning, say for example, at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. for pre-judging, I'm going to shift their consumption of those two variables a little bit earlier in the day, that day prior. And then I'm going to leave them a window of time in the afternoon or the evening where we're just pushing that rate of diuresis up for them to then wake up in the morning in a position where I know that they've pushed out and flushed as much as they realistically can flush without being in a position where that, uh, you will say depletion of water, that's not really because they've, they've had six liters or eight liters that day anyway, they just shift the timings. It just doesn't extend long enough for them to start taking a step back. <laughs> because we've all seen like, if you know, I've seen crazy protocols where it's, they'll water load at the start of the week. And then on Thursday, it starts to go to like, right, right on Thursday, they're on 750 mil for the day. And then Friday, they're on 300 mil for the day. And it's like, how are you, like, what is happening here? And that's where <laughs> that's where they're starting to get worse and worse as the day goes on. They probably look all right the first day they adjust it. And then they wake up the next day, they're like, hmm, something's not right. They wake up the following day and it's gone. Yeah. And I think, especially for the heavier muscled individual, you're going to get Is to it... a point where if you miss the mark that much in terms of depletion of hydration, you're not going to be able to get that back. You're not going to be able to get that look back in that time frame, regardless of what you do with food. Because if there's no water there, then food's not going to do what it needs to do anyway in terms of carbohydrates yeah. and um, the fullness you're getting from from that nutrition. I had I, I had a water taper once, like for Chicago, and you're you're right. It's the first day we the water was cut in half. It was like from three gallons to like one, oh no, two gallons. I, I trained and I was like, this looks phenomenal. And then I still had like two more days to go. And then it just was flat, flat, flat. <laughs> um, to rewind you a bit, because you laid out a lot there. And I want to go back to something you said, like off the very front end of you're getting someone just in, in nailed condition wise. And if they're conditioned, they likely won't have a lot of water to manipulate anyway. Now, you mentioned some of the other divisions that do carry more body fat because the more body fat you have, potentially the more water you might be holding as well. Now, for those divisions, say it's like bikini or wellness, will you diet them a bit farther than what they need to so you have the ability to feed them back up or is that just managed differently? That's that's the first one I want to address around that. The second one is like, have you found individuals that maybe they were really overweight previously and they actually do have some type of water they're holding? Um, maybe that's the rare instance. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, guys are using PEDs. So what what are you looking at when you have a guy that's enhanced that is actually retaining water with PEDs? And, and what are you doing to manipulate those so <laughs> i guess that's three questions cal <laughs> but off the front end before before uh before for, for peak week so i think the um the female situation 100 percent. i think especially for the bikini girls and the wellness girls because i don't know what it's like in the u.s as much but in the uk you can go to a show in bikini and you can place second call out you can go to the next show the weekend after and you can be sent stage first call out like there's a lot of disparity in terms of the subjective nature of the judging panel and what they're looking for in terms of how sharp they want the girls to be how much tissue they want the girls to have same for wellness the same for let probably less so the same for figure but i'd always say steering on the side of caution for a lot of those female athletes i'd rather I'd rather hammer the nail in the coffin in terms of conditioning first, a little bit earlier in prep, and then just feed them into stage until I feel as though we've got a perfect balance of fullness intramuscularly and conditioning being held. Because nine times out of 10, and it, you know, I've seen this before where they're, they're super, super sharp for stage, but they're a little bit stringy and a little bit flat. And then they start reversing the calories back up Pre, pre uh, post show, sorry, they start refer reversing into their off season. They get two weeks into their off season and they're like, "This, I actually prefer my look now than I did when I was on stage. This, this is a better look. This is, I'm holding more muscle. I've got more fullness. I've got more pop. That's realistically probably the look they should be going on stage at because most of those classes don't want grainy, 
you know, fiber conditioning detail there in terms of those divisions. So I would always try and get them to a point where that, you know, 10 to 14 day, day out window, they're, they're very sharp in terms of where I feel as though their capacity to get into condition is. And then we're just nudging them forwards in terms of nutrition every day or every other day based on check-ins. And like we said, realistically, if we've got a baseline of sodium and fluid that they're used to day to day and they're holding a look day to day, they're not really going to need to change that in the grand scheme. They're just going to they're just going to keep that consistent. I would say, which we can speak about later, I would say for the for the bigger individual, maybe the the super heavyweight or the heavyweight that's having a very high demand for nutrition to fill out, they probably will need to shift their water and their electrolyte balance up yes. during that feeding window a touch. But then they're probably going to bring that back down when they start pulling down in terms of um, the feeding requirements. Um, that second question was like when a, a client starts prep overweight, you said? If they had been like previously like over overweight in their past um, and, and they have like the loose skin. And it, do you see anyone that's like that actually li does hold water in those like lower back glute areas or is it just simply like that skin just doesn't push the muscles not pushing against the skin as much um how, do you come across any situation like that i've always found that male or female if they do start prep and this isn't always the case because we've always got those anomalies where they're super soft and then they get absolutely inside out for stage but for most circumstances when they do start prep a little with a little bit more adipose than they probably should do those, those that I find are the situations where it probably isn't a one process. It, it probably isn't a one process thing in terms of they're going to go from that all the way to inside out peeled in one go. There probably does need to be, like we spoke about in Dubai, where we were talking about, you know, Luke said the three phases of fat loss. They might need to spend a bit of time kind of tidying up and, and, and sharpening up and refining the look first before they even start the prep in the first place. And that might be where we're, we're going to pull them as, down as far as we can. We're going to dart break them and shift that fatigue and reset. And then we're going to go again in that, in that second phase for finishing the job, so to speak. Like I, I've seen, you know, before where you can kind of get an idea, like when you get to like four to six weeks out of how much work needs to, to be done relative to the lean tissue they hold, where it's like, this isn't going to be like bursting skin, this isn't going to be like bursting skin full condition. It's going to be a little bit looser. And in that situation, I think you need to be even more careful with feeding requirements and messing around with that final stage, just because I always find the sharper the individual, the more predictable the actual impact of what I'm doing, because I can see it day. I can see it clear as day when they wake up post training throughout the day, even yeah. if they checked in at 9 PM that night, if they're, if they're peeled and they're fat free, it's very easy to predict and analyze the situation they're in. Whereas if there's a little bit of, or if there's a little bit of that soft look towards the closer, finer detail, I find it much, much harder to get someone over the finish line because you can't really see what's going on, especially on a WhatsApp video. Maybe in person, you'd be able to get a better idea, but when they're checking on a video, it's, it's tough in terms of analyzing that. Yeah. Yeah. I had a client to me, like his, you know, stage picks and like, Hey, what do you think went wrong? Like, well, let me see your peak week picks, like a few, like throughout the day, like, where do you feel like you looked your best? And then I can look at those and I'll see like, all right, you're still soft here. And so what I would say, like if throughout every moment of peak week, you never find that look that's hard, you're not all of a sudden going to show up on stage day miraculously nailed. It's it, you might roll the dice, but it's highly likely you won't be there. So it's almost more of a fact, like for that individual, like, you better find it the week before or set the expectations of what's to come for that, that client. And we were talking about the bigger bodybuilder. I know that I was talking more about water increases, but uh, the, the other question was around PDs because, and maybe this is just more of a, you know, just myth around it or, or factual. So that's what I want to hear from you. The, the guy that does have a high requirement PED load when do you know that is like water related and there's something that needs to be manipulated in the stack? Do you just assume it does and make the manipulations anyway? Kind of, kind of walk me through, like, how would you do that? So you can get someone to that peak week and they already look hard. Like you're talking about. So I think that an easy way of looking at the, 
the like the, from a PD perspective in terms of compound selection and what variables you're pushing in that situation or, or where those variables are the like the retentive patterns i think if we pull bloods at four weeks out which is likely probably going to be like if you look at the actual androgens the injectables that are being used i'm probably not in a position where at four weeks out from a from a show they're probably not going to change all that much from that point there might be small manipulations in um like 17a alkylated orals we might be using a little bit of wind stroll or something like that but we're not going to be changing the bigger picture in terms of the stack i'm going to probably have them in a position where that's where it is. And I, I might manipulate, we'll speak about that in a sec. I might manipulate a few things there, but blood work can obviously paint the picture. I find that, and I, I you know, it'd be really cool to get your opinion here. We know that the, the estrogen variable isn't having a direct impact on fluid retention itself, but it is potentially making the environment, the athletes in more susceptible to carrying that in that final stage of the prep. And all I'll do in that situation is I'll pull labs if I can, mm -hmm. And if I can't, as a general rule of thumb, say if I've got a, a super heavyweight bodybuilder who is 280, 270, 260, and they're on, you know, I would say probably anecdotally, probably between five and 750 milligrams a test a week, realistically, if they're, you know, if it's a pro or if it's a guy pushing for a pro card. In that back end of the process, I'm just going to shift their, 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 their ratio between the actual testosterone itself and whatever DHT derivative we're using within the compound selection. So say for example, their, their test was 750 and their mass was 500. Based on the estolent and how long it's gonna to take to actually saturate, it's probably gonna be at four weeks out. I'm gonna be in a position where I'm gonna just nudge that testosterone down a touch now. I'm gonna push the mastron up a little bit and just shift those ratios between being a little bit more estrogen dominant to a little bit more androgen dominant in that final phase of the prep. And it's almost like a gradual pull of every week that we go past that point, they're getting a little bit sharper and a little bit more crisp as their body starts to turn over those, those, um, those ratios yep. there. Um, the other thing I might use is uh, like a small amount of Provaron use. If we're going to be toggling E2 a little bit with some, uh, with some Provaron. Um, and then an interesting one that we can talk about is like the, the um the aldosterone related influence the, the exogenous growth hormone is going to have um like i've got a super that is competing next weekend in the uk called greg from scotland he's the one with crazy crazy he's got the biggest glutes i've ever seen in my life but he's inside out peeled he's still on six IU of growth hormone a day and he yep. is bone dry peeled so in my situation now you know you're in two schools of thought here you pull it out Condition might change by 0.1%, but he loses a load of fullness that he's carrying at the moment. Like you've got to pick your battles there. If you've got someone that's razor sharp, maybe I don't want to take it out because the impact the growth form removal is having is not actually benefiting the look. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's a, assessing around the, the four week out mark to see what type of manipulations could, should, or maybe should not happen. Um, you're, you're right. I see it the same too. Like, all these variables like estrogen, androgens, um, you know, growth hormone, e even the fatigue cortisol driven, they're all inputs around causing angiotensin aldosterone rise. So it's like, what it, it will, there'll be a negative by making the manipulation because what's the realism that we're all pulling labs four weeks out. Usually that might not be happening. Right. So it's more looking at the look and saying, you know, how much more does this person have to go to be that sharp? And is it worth doing? And a lot of times maybe it is just a smaller nudge just to kind of like, oh, well, this will just kind of make sure, but not taking them so far to just assume that that's always the protocol you do with everyone. I think that gets back to what we used to always see. It's like, yep, you cut test at three weeks out. You know, you pull growth hormone like 10 days out. And it, it was very cookie cutter. And this gets into the, the coaching assessment process that needs to needs to happen with and sorry look i'll let you uh, ask some stuff here just one one last thing uh, around the the pd conversation is are, are are there errors you see in usage where things are, are really are skewing the look to be problematic or things maybe that you've changed a, across uh, the years coaching where you found like you're, you're now in a position to better assess someone was it, I don't know, running tests too high or too low or, you know, any, anything that comes to mind around that? 
I think the the testosterone situation is probably the most common commonly faced scenario because we you know we've all seen the we've all seen the PDFs of testers out at four weeks out and then they're just running on trend Mastron and Prima mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Um, I think the the testosterone being too high, I think you know if we're approaching that in the right manner, that will have already been a variable that we would we would have managed. I think. Um, Cutting out is probably going to have, you know, I've never, I've never really had the anecdotal evidence for long enough to see, but cutting out is probably going to have a, a slight compromise, maybe in terms of the fullness being held towards stage if we're having it for a long period of time where it's 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 lowering in terms of blood plasma levels and you know we're having a long enough time you know what, with that. What, what what about what about the weight class athlete too? Because do you ever pull a lot out just to get someone down to weight? So like Valentin would be a really good example of, of uh, where we go there. What we did with Valentin last year was, and for the Olympia and all the shows he did, and actually it's a really good, it's a really good conversation to have with when you spoke earlier about um, when you feel as though, like this was Texas, when you feel as though this, I was in Luke's house as well, so Luke was there. When you feel as though there's still a tiny bit more to go in certain areas on the look, but trying to push that off forcefully is not going to be a benefit to the overall look in the package itself it's like valentin as a physique looks best when he's bursting full because his quads Mm. are crazy dense his chest fills out his arms fill out when you push him too hard in terms if i try and peak him too hard so to speak if i get his glutes a few percent sharper it's really easy to actually miss the mark with the rest of the look because as soon as he faces the front and he hits the front relaxed unless things are bursting full they don't look right and he's not going to be the sharpest guy on stage because you know we, we've done four shows now and probably the best look was that california show or the texas show it wasn't inside out grainy peel glutes like it wasn't 100 percent. but for him at 95 percent, where he has a balance this it's a very very good look we haven't found 100 percent condition yet because last year the well the reason the reason i think was we didn't get picked for the UK Arnold last year. So we were thinking we were 16 weeks out, didn't get picked for the UK Arnold. There was a show in four weeks. Mm. <laughs> there was a show in four weeks. So I was like, right, we're going to full send it. We're going to do a show in four weeks. And then he, he did that and we got him down to the cap and it was like four and a half weeks from post off-season maintenance to first show. There's a load of fatigue that he carried there. And then every show after that, his body was just starting to get a little bit more killed off each time. So if he started prep at 100% in terms of being fresh, it would be a very different story. But for him, it was like, it's picking who's your battles there. Um, no, no. But yeah. Question again? Weight class athletes and bringing the drugs down to get there. We, we, we would have him on, he, but by the back end of prep, he was pretty much just below TRT testosterone in that, in that protocol. But we'd use the DHG derivatives a little bit higher to hold the look. So I think maybe towards the back end, he was on like 200, and 200 225 milligrams of test and his Mastron was in like the five, 600 range. Yeah. Um, yeah. Little bit of, a little bit of a wind stroll, no anavarm because his weight blows up. Um, and uh, obviously for him, it's like, you can't use growth hormone. You can't use any, any variable that's going to potentially keep yeah. his body weight at a slightly higher set point. It, it can't be there. Yeah. I, um, I'm glad you brought Valentin's prep up or peak up because I have like a two-part question that could potentially ride off the back of that. Because from a PD implementation fluid manipulation standpoint, like there's a lot of popularity within anadrol usage for fullness and using that to kind of shift that balance towards the fullness side of the equation, right? And um, I think it's used a little too often as in like, people who aren't all the way there are using it to try to play the fullness game because they know they're not and they're taking it so far that um, it's ruining the look. So initial question is anadrol usage and how that's affecting potentially any manipulations you're making around that peak slash fluid slash sodium balance. Um, secondarily, this would be post the anadrol question. Um, how frequently or are you doing it anymore? Driving diuresis with, potassium relative to sodium relative to fluid intakes and 
adjustments around that or are you finding that's not worth the time due to the amount of accuracy it takes to do that well yeah so the second question in terms of um like the timing of electrolyte implementation and water manipulations like if we're getting water in in a certain point in the day for those classic guys we don't have the luxury because the chances are they're not feeding until they've actually made weight if they're at the mm -hmm. top of the cap so we don't have the like if i've got a guy that doesn't have a, a cap and we can spend you know we can feed when we want in the week we can manipulate when we want and that last day we can manipulate potential electrolyte and fluid um changes at whatever time we want then it's a lot easier to nail there's a load of natural guys that i'll prep in the wmbf and the bmbf who who just do that and they get inside out peeled like jay mcgee who won the world mm -hmm. last year at the naturals olympia mm -hmm. You could you could pull his stomach and it would stay there for ten seconds out of his body because he's he's like dry. <laughs> but because I've coached him for like four years, so it just runs like clockwork because we just know what his body ticks over. But for a lot of those guys, we wouldn't have the length of time necessary for them to feed and yeah. then dry, which is where that kind of pharmaceutical aid is going to come in, where I can drive that response in a very condensed window of time because. If they're checking in at 4 p.m. at athlete registration, they're on stage at 1 p.m. the next day, you know, I've, I've probably got six meals in me that I can use there and they're probably going to have to eat through the night and I'm going to have to account for the fact that, well, if they're consuming, you know, carbohydrates, then if they're putting in fats and carbs in, in through the night. Water needs to be there in sufficient amount and sodium still needs to be there. So at some point, I'm going to have to feed them to a point where I know that they're appropriately full and saturated and then I'm going to have to dry them out. And that drying out window is probably going to be a four to six hour window. You know, like if you look at the half hour of something like Diazide, like you can, you know, I probably dose that in two times fractionally through the night, one before bed, one in the morning, about six hours out from stage. Um, yeah. But it's a, it's, a, it's a super short time frame. So no, you wouldn't really realistically have time to fully that's why I asked that question. longer adjustments. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly why I asked that question. And I, I ask that question because like there is some demonization around diuretic usage and I'm, I'm not saying I actually use it that frequently because I honestly haven't even used it this year yet at a show, but I do think that there is application for it. Absolutely. In that exact instance where you're, you're saying just the time duration from weigh-ins to stage is so short that it has to happen. Um, and then just last bit to cover the anadrol piece, like your take on manipulations with that, because I know, it's something you will use in the right case, but not. Yeah. Every time. So like that, that'll be another scenario where, and again, it probably falls into that category of this is probably something we've manipulated with in the high days leading up to stage. So if I add in feeding windows, one week out, two weeks out, three weeks out, whatever, and we're getting in a, we're getting in a appreciation of how much they need per day with those pillars of nutrition to max, max out the look in terms of fullness maybe in those situations i'm using a tool that is there to just volumize the look further around the training window so like anadrol could be an example over here the the use of the use of um superdrol over in the uk is a little bit more prevalent but like either or they work superdrol works extremely well with food carbohydrates going up and hydration being in, a, in an efficient place and the fullness you can get from those tools is 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 alarming the only thing we need to look at is the potential drawback that those tools are having if they're in for too long so like if i would i would just add them in in feeding windows if i was going to do it so on the loading days where they might have a the final pump up session or they might do a, a pump up session on both the loading days a pull session and a push session whatever it might be just blood flow orientated work assessing the look post training maybe we're using something prior to the training window or in the morning when we're starting to re-add food to just shift them forwards a little bit in terms of actual fullness being held in stage. And maybe we're using something in the morning of the show if we've got the the ability to do it, but it would be for a it would be for a matter of days as opposed to using that at the back end of prep to just hold a specific look, if that makes sense. Yeah, that that does. And you know, Luke brought something up and, and just to reel this back to the water electrolyte piece and not you know, as, as drug focused, but it matters for like, you know, who we're talking about. So just to summarize, kind of like you're moving into a peak week, you already have someone that's on their prep 
water intake they've been set on. So say this is six, seven liters per day. That's going to be relatively held constant throughout peak week. You have someone that's on a set sodium potassium amount. Now I, I would want to hear how do you, do you, for one, monitor that real closely, like measuring milligram amounts in foods? Or, or was that kind of set up initially in, in the prep to where you already kind of know where they're at? And uh, do you, because some foods get pulled towards the end of, towards show day, like you might not have a lot of high potassium foods anymore. It might just be rice and things. Do you, what do you do around that? And do you find it even matters? I, I personally haven't found in, you know, in, in every peak that I've done, I haven't found being super, super anal with potassium tracking, a massive variable in terms of the actual influence on the look. Like, I'll be honest, like the last two years of me peaking, the only thing I've tracked is water and sodium. And the potassium from the diet is what is what is being held there in terms of the concept. That's exactly why I originally asked the question. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I found the same because I have people that are like tracking it by the milligram and sodium by the milligram. And then what do you, what do you do with that information? Right? So when you look at a person, you're like, Oh yeah, that's what four grams of potassium and six grams of sodium look like. Like no one has that dialed down from what I've ever found. And even for myself, like towards the end of peak week, like, there's not like bananas and tomatoes and avocado <laughs> and all these potassium foods in there. Usually you're just going to pretty much rice and we're not adding back in potassium pills. I, I think you're just not having to manipulate that meticulously. Mm-hmm. There's a balance to it. And I, I think it's a sexy sell for one to have like, this is our sodium that load. Then we bring potassium in to drive it all intracellular. Like it's so complex. Like it, it's not going to work the way you think. And that's when you're going to land on stage looking looking off so no that's that's uh but but the day-to-day um sorry to cut you the day-to-day um the day-to-day variables i'll track are just the obviously the diet itself and like you said like i'm not going to go and chase potassium rich foods if they haven't been in the diet already because then we don't know what ha- what happens to the gi like if i if i give you a thousand milligram potassium tablet like what happens with the gi when you start taking that three times a day or if I give you avocado or some or a banana that you haven't had for the last eight weeks, like it's causing more variables to potentially throw us off the beat, off the off the beat. And then, yeah, the the only things that I personally think are, are massively influential on the look are, are, are sodium and, and and water. And if I'm running a peak in that manner, it would just be, you know, if I was to give like a rough estimate, it would just be like. 16 to 18 hours out, I'm probably going to get their day's worth of sodium in, in the meals they have in the earlier part of the day, if they're on in the morning, the following day, and then around, and then, and then it's like usually like 15 to 18 hours between sodium and, and water manipulation. But the biggest thing is I'm not, I'm not reducing the amount they'd have normally. I'm just changing the times they're consuming them. Mm. The, uh, I was uh, listening to Chris Tuttle. He's a, 212 pro and dietitian and um, some of his peak week protocols. And I want to ask how you measure sodium because he has his clients like with a salt grinder, he'll just do, do six grinds. And someone's gonna be like, that's so inaccurate and so bothered by that. But the, the standardization of how it's implemented is, is kind of the same. Um, I use teaspoons and I, I don't think you need to go to the extreme of like weighing out your sodium with like your drug scale and, you know, chopping up your sodium lines or whatever you do. How do you, you say, you know, sodium's important for you. How do you go about that, that measurement process and, and giving those directions to your clients? Usually it stems from what they were like, if we've got an idea of where it is in the off season or at the start of prep, what they feel comfortable using as a metric. So like some people in the UK or some people I've got, in Europe or in the US, they'll use a you know a, a micro scale, just weigh it out in the morning, and then just distribute it across the day. If they've okay. got a little pot in the kitchen, get all your day's worth in that pot when you wake up, and then just distribute it across the day, so we know ten grams is ten grams. But I've also got like a, a perfect situation here is over the last two years, I've turned like um, it might be five now, it might be four, um, but t- uh, Turkish um, bodybuilders pro. It's like mm-hmm. I get a lot of a lot get a lot of guys um, contacting from Turkey because of the guys that I've turned pro in bodybuilding and classic physique, and um, a lot of them don't speak very very good English. 
So if I start trying to explain to them, right, we need a thousand milligrams of sodium here from this amount of salt, like it doesn't work. So all I'll say is get 10 of these salt grinders at the start of your prep, stay on that salt grinder. And one grind is how many, how many X grinds I want you to have in that meal. And I'll just do it on grinds per meal because it's, you know, it's foolproof, right? Yeah. Okay. No, uh, good to know for the overly anal people out there, they're going to be, you know, going nuts, but I think that it, it weighs down to, you know, having the the balance and also weighing into your, your client's psychology too. Uh, so, yeah, I was going to say the psychology part. So taking that to show day and you're talking about, you're putting in the same amount. So if you have say like this guy that's been doing six liters, let's not the weight class athlete, but I just want like some context. So people listening kind of have an idea. Six, six liters of water a day. They're doing 10 grams of sodium per day. And so you're, so I understand you're going to put in that six liters, maybe if, if they need it within just the shorter window on the one day out. So they wake up at eight and maybe till say 6 PM, they're going to put in that same water and sodium out, and then they'll have more in. So they'll excrete more. And then you'll have a longer period of time when they are without water. Is that, is that the idea, right? Is that, is that the generalized approach that you'll utilize for most people or what, when's the, when's the call, when's the call to, to know like, oh yeah. If it is a, um, a, a harsher peak in terms of like, I'm really trying to hit the mark in terms of conditioning in the final, in the final components of conditioning, instead of the linear approach the wellness the bikini where i'm probably just going to keep things standardized the whole way through because i don't really want to have anything there that could potentially throw us off the mark it's just predictable if it is someone that i'm trying to get the 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 one percent difference then that will what i personally find is the most predictable way of doing it without having major changes in the the approach i'll just shift the timings of those two variables there um so they've got a longer window of time where they're just excreting and not putting in as much and then they wake up in the morning on show day they're very dry in terms of a set point and then based on fluid excretion across the 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 duration of the day you know you could get really nitty-gritty and get them to you know pee in a bottle overnight and see the urine volume that comes out but you can just <laughs> i can just eyeball it at this point um i'll then just know ballpark wise how much fluid we're going to need per meal or per 30 minutes or an hour on the day of the show relative to when they're going to be on stage and nine times out of ten if they're super early on stage they're going to have to wake up at a certain period of time so we can have maybe one meal or small meal in the morning and then a little bit of fluid and then we're just reassessing as we move and that's going to be something that yes if you've got multiple shows in a season like that regional show is really good data for the pro qualifier because you know, maybe we put in a little bit too less in terms of fluid volume. And we, we actually found that when you rehydrated a little bit later in the day, your body came to life again, right? We know for the pro qualifier, you're going to need a little bit more in the morning pre-stage to maximize the look when you actually come to pump up and step on stage. Um, and then, you know, for, for the most part, it, we, we, you know, ideally we're in a position where we can kind of practice these things first before they actually happen. So if they, if they're, if they're prejudging us at 10 a.m. on Saturday, well, they're probably training for the last four weeks at 10 a.m. if possible in the morning. So we know roughly where the fluid requirements are when they look best at training. And we're just trying to replicate that on stage. Just just to bring back a point you had mentioned earlier, like you had this guy that was going through peak week and you were monitoring his look. You had how much food and fluid was going in. And you might find a look that's really solid. But then I guess to challenge you a bit here, Cal, if – if then on that last one day out, you have this manipulation, then it kind of brings a different look on show day where you're having to really judge it off the fly to find back that look that you found earlier in the week. Is that the situation? And so I clarify where maybe you don't do that or would you do it anyway? Just <clears throat> from your experience, you, you know how to, how to adjust back to the look. The, the earlier the manipulation though would be early, early pre-judging. So if I had a bodybuilder on stage at 8.30 a.m., the chances are when they wake up on show day, we're only drip feeding fluid pre-show anyway because we've got a very short period of time. Does that make sense? Yeah. So with yeah. this, may be, so the with this may be the guy that you found, like, you found he looks like he looks best. Like fasted in the morning? Fasted in the morning? In that, wake, in that waking window. 
Yes. Yeah, so you, yeah, need, so you to need to extend that, extend out, that a out a little farther. bit farther. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. That makes, that makes sense. Now, is it is it flipped? Like, yeah. if you have the guy that looks really good midday to late afternoon, and would you not go to that extreme then? Because he needs more food and fluid earlier on? So, like, um, I'll give you an example. So, like, Sheridan, the guy that competed in uh, Sweden last weekend, and he, like, class A men's physique, he's usually on stage at, like, 1, 2, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. He'll always look better in that kind of 1.5 to 3 liter range. So we know the reference point in terms of where he needs to be pre-stage. Um, if I've got someone who's on stage super early, and this is something that uh, we we kind of experimented with with Dean when he prepped, uh, was it last year? Dean St. Mark when he prepped last year. Around If, if you're on stage at, say, 9 a.m. as a pre-judge and they're getting up at 5.30 or 6 a.m., anecdotally about 150 milliliters per half an hour of time drip feeding in is about right for where we need to just maintain a look from a faster from a faster window for a couple of hours after so like if i have them in a position where it's like 300 milliliters an hour they're 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 awake for maybe three hours prior to them on pre-judging about a liter of fluid drip fed in for me that's about right for where an individual needs to be in terms of holding a look and holding that kind of did look like we said um and that will be where the individual that if i know they're bang on the button when they wake up and i've made those slight manipulations the day before if we are making them then i know they're going to wake up super dry on show day and then i'm just drip feeding in stage to maintain and hold on to the look if that makes sense because if i don't add water back in they're going to get three hours down the line and the look's going to be gone yeah so i'm going to have to drip feed it in at some point just to maintain the look and if i say right First check-ins at 6 a.m., check-in again at 7 a.m., or I might be with them in person. If I feel as though they've started to taper off by the time they've got to an hour after waking, we'll just pop a little bit more water in to hold on to the, the look. Um, but if I'm using the if I'm using the pharmaceutical side, the water and the sodium would just stay true throughout the whole process. I wouldn't I wouldn't cut it at any point. And that makes sense. The diuretics driving that process. So the, the water's not having to getting pushed out, like move, move one variable, right? The diuretics moving that variable for you with, with the water adjustments there on show day. I, I know some people will bump sodium on show day to give that acute rise in, in blood pressure and increase in vascularity. Do you do anything around that typically like that standard or it's still just kind of gauged, um, mainly just with water and holding sodium the same? Yeah, so I'll either do it as a, if they've got a, a feeding in the morning, I'll just reintroduce what the regular sodium requirements will be per, like per meal, for example. Um, and then sometimes I might put a little bit of sodium in like an hour or 90 minutes prior to them pumping up if I want to have that acute bump in blood pressure and push a little bit more vascularity through the look. It's like a little bit of a safeguard there. You know, have a little bit of, you know, have a, you know, if if I pulled something out of my head, it would be like, oh, um, 150 to 300 milliliters of fluid, you know, X amount of sodium mixed into that fluid. And then um, if you want to use anything else alongside that in that little solution of water, you can, but they can sip on that 60 to 90 minutes prior to them pumping up. And then I, at least I know that if the timings of the stage or the timings they're pulled backstage to pump up are shifted, we're not in a position where they had their meal three hours ago and now sodium is starting to deplete again and they're starting to flatten off. We've got that to just to sip on when you get called for, for 60 minutes prior stage. That goes down just so we've got a backup of not having to miss the mark in terms of timings, which again, how, you know, how, how, how many times does that happen? Like it's always nine times out of 10, it's never on yeah. the mark in terms of timings. You're always going to have half an hour here or half an hour there. Well, Luke, you, you had yeah. wanted to say something earlier. Yeah, so I think I think the the point is like combining theory and coaching, right? And that's kind of where the the practice that we've kind of gone over is important in that the the variable change from an athlete to athlete perspective is very based on the inputs that are coming in. And what I mean by that is <clears throat> excuse me. Um this comes back to like how you run the prep on the forefront, right? Essentially like the, and I think to to pull out something Cal said earlier, the leaner that someone is, the more predictable the change is that he's doing is because he can visually see it every time it's coming back to him, right? And we can actually use that to set up the prep where we can 
know the type of manipulations that need to happen for that athlete. So I don't know if you do this, Cal, but I actually tinker with that fluid sodium timing about two to two and a half weeks out prior to that estimated time for showtime that I think they're going to be on stage. And I typically do it around a session. Like I'll even move sessions around for whatever that last session is going to be before they go on stage. Um, Because when it comes to driving diuresis and trying to make that happen, depending on the methodology in which you go, which we've brought up pharmaceutical, we've brought up, you know, fluid and sodium manipulations to drive diuresis, the rate at which that athlete changes is largely different. And the accuracy in how you pinpoint that is is going to be very different as well. So I guess my point would be just to bring the application back, how many times are you typically testing this before the big run? Because there's some athletes where I just use the regional as that test. Like, okay, cool, go do your regional. You're good enough where if you walk in there 90%, it's not going to really matter. You're going to do what you need to do. And then go to the pro qual. But there's some athletes where you got one go. Like you have the pro call and that's all you got. And so I'll actually create a mock show day in the timeline so that we know what's going on. And I just kind of wanted to hear some perspective of that because I love theory and it's great and we need to do that to conceptually understand it. But we also need to apply it because the rates at which these athletes change is the most important part of this equation, in my opinion. My, my thought process is very similar where if I've got a regional qualifier for, a, for an athlete, Yes, the goal is to win the regional qualifier, but I know that there's a little bit of leeway in terms of there's also data being gathered from that first run into the stage um, because the bigger, the, the low-hanging fruit in the prep is the pro qualifier to come, and I know that that regional is going to test the waters with some of the, the the setup that we're going to be doing there. We know we've got the we've got the feeding requirements and the general gist of what we need from the last few weeks anyway it's just those final few manipulations that you might be being a little bit more reactive to but noting down in that regional and then from that data that's noted down and the reactive the reactive kind of manipulations in that regional you're then refining that for the pro qualifier in the first place because nine times out of ten like sometimes you're not going to have you're not going to have a chance to be in a position where you can run a, a mock show day if you're on the precipice of having to lose body fat until you're two weeks out as well, because you're going to have yep. to, yep. timing's tight, right? Um, but if we do have the opportunity, then 100%, like if if a client is in a position where they've pushed forwards from a fat loss perspective really efficiently in prep, you get to four weeks out and you're really close. You've got the luxury of, you know, two, three weeks there where you can you can play around with certain manipulations to really refine the process for that final week. As long as they don't have a, as long as they don't have a, a detriment to the actual predictability of the look moving into mm-hmm. stage, then because like, for example, like if I, if you said um, they you'd loaded someone and then you'd done like, uh, you know, a certain manipulation where you'd pulled sodium down super hard and then it took them two days to find the look again. Like it might be a little bit of stress there with the athlete just dipping in and out of the set point they were in, but nine times out of 10, you'll, you'll be able to keep it fairly predictable there. I think there was a situation, John, where, it might have been last year or the year before where you said you trialed you trialed on a flight somewhere and you'd had like a quarter tab of Darzai the night you got in from a longer flight because you were trying to replicate something about a show that you were doing. Or was that complete bollocks I've just said? Uh, it wasn't a flight. It was a drive though. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was a, a practice run the weekend prior with some diuretic to see the, kind of see the response. Um and I, I, it was kind of botched anyway. So <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It, but it did give me like the idea of like the amounts of the, the response that to do so you don't overshoot it or undershoot it. So um, yeah, you have to be in the position to, to have that, you know, be able to do, but at least with a diuretic, like it's fairly short lived. So it's not going to throw, throw the look off. Um, I would say like, doing cardio the next day, like fasted cardio. I was like, I'm going to not do this this day with this diuretic in. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've, I've done some trials around that and around that same conversation. I would, I would want to ask you, what are the red flags around water manipulation or diuretic usage that you see out there that just should just not be done or, 
are being done incorrectly? Uh, anything that like stands out to you that just really throws people for a loop? I think again, when when you look at sodium manipulation, and you can you can look at the potential like nuances of potassium manipulation, like we said, and the need there. But any like aggressive, harsh sodium and water manipulation at a further proximity to stage, I think is a very risky situation. And this is the this is the beauty of bodybuilding. Like you're going to get people that have done this where they looked incredible on stage, but there might be one guy out of 20 that, that's able to do that. And it's a bit of a fluke. So, you know, take that with a pinch of salt. But generally speaking, like the longer the the longer the harsh manipulation, the more unpredictable the situation is going to be when you actually get to stage in the first place. And then always use a general rule of thumb that, and this is something that you get refined, you get a little bit more refined with in terms of application over time, but use the general rule of thumb that if you're going to be using a, you know, a, a potassium sparing direct, like a diazide, for example, the, the more fractional the dose and the, the least implementation you can have for the biggest change is the better because if you're if you're in a situation where you're in the hotel room the night before and you're like do i use a quarter or do i use a half always go for the quarter because <laughs> you, go for the half and over, you go for the half and overshoot your mark it's very hard to crawl back to the situation you're in it's so like one thing i'll do is i'll look at the the half-lives of the tools that i'm using and i'll just think to myself Right. Well, I'd, I'd rather use a quarter now and then reassess in six hours time and have the ability to use another quarter in six hours if I feel I need it, than use half now, wake up at 6am and the look's gone because we can't do anything about that now. It's done. So like be in a position where you're using those tools to nudge you forwards as opposed to thinking they're going to take you to 100% straight away. Um, it's like the the the, the, le the less of the aggression, the usually the more predictable the response will be. And then also, like we said before, you're looking at those slightly longer, slightly longer acting um, uh, diuretic protocols that we we sometimes see from you know it's mainly in the US, but I've seen it in Europe as well, where you, you're using the aldactones for long, long periods of time. It's, it's a, you're fighting with fire there in terms of not only health, but also the ability to land, you know, land the final look. It's incredibly hard to do that in a, in a, in a pinpoint manner. Um, and it's also a potential catastrophic situation to put an athlete in when you're, when you're exposing them for that length of time. Yep. Yeah. It could be outright dangerous. We've, we've seen people pass away from this kind of stuff. So. And like, that another circumstance will be and this is quite an interesting topic to talk about because i don't know what what i guess the same thing applies in the us but for a lot of the uk athletes they're going abroad to hotter climates so they're going to italy or spain or portugal where it's suddenly 10 degrees warmer in terms of the climate and the humidity is super hot as well backstage is scorching hot so you're actually having a you got to have an appreciation over what impact that humidity and that heat is going to have on the unpredictability of response their body is going through and something that i've seen in the past is if i'm using a if i'm using a you know diazide in portugal relative to the uk the response with that athlete is totally different in both those climates because the rate in which they're excreting fluid and you know perspiration and the rate of diuresis which is occurring is actually very different in both those situations so that's also a thing that we really need to take into con to, into consideration there in terms of not overlooking the 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 kind of climate situation as well no that's a great point so i don't think people would figure in like climate change um and flying to different places so no yeah. that's uh that's valuable and, and cal i know we're coming up right on the hour here but i think this is a ton of insight into the practical applications of peaking someone. Um, I, I want to give you the opportunity, like what for people that want to follow your coaching journey along um, anything you want to plug now, but please, please go ahead. So people can learn more. Yeah. So we're, we're obviously we're based in the UK, but we work further afield. Now I've got a, a coaching team that works alongside me that, we specialize, you know, in, in contest preparation and, and for the athlete bodybuilder, but we've also got a, a non-competitive side of the coaching team as well, which just goes more so into just general physique coaching at a higher level for all walks of life that just want to pursue goals, but non-competitively. 
Um, so you can find us on online at www.teamprocoach.com. Uh, we're on social media for ProCoach. We're on YouTube for ProCoach. We've got a podcast. Um, and yeah, it's just a, it's a blend of, you know, something we, me and Luke have spoken about before where it's like the, the content that we put out personally is, um, is not super, super out there in terms of the high-end science literature, but we just try and get a, you know, we need to know that stuff and we need to have an appreciation, but we also always need to make it applicable to the situations you're actually going to find yourself in as a coach or an athlete and how we overcome those situations. So um, just the practicality of that is a, is a big element for us. And, you know, that's shown in the, you know, the results that we've got over the last, you know, we've got 18 pro cards in the last two years um, through the team and a lot of competitive success from a, from a coaching perspective. And that is just coming down to the, you know, the art of coaching and knowing enough anecdotally from experience, but also always moving forward. And like the likes of like J3U, like those resources are so important because you can take that stuff from a theoretical perspective, but then you also need to, you need to learn the ins and outs practically as well. And if you blend both of those together in terms of practical application and experience there and the theoretical stuff, you know, you're going to be an exceptional coach. No, I, I agree. And that's exactly why I wanted to have you on. Cause you, I think you have the, the great mix of both and I, either way, like I would take any day, the guy, I was just on a P, uh, podcast yesterday with, with Milos. He's been prepping people for like 40 years, right? <laughs> Since the eighties, I would take that any day over the guy that's only read studies and never coached anyone like easily ha hands down. Like you could wipe off every study off the planet. Like, it just gave me the guy that's been coaching people successfully for years. So anyway, truly appreciate you taking the time to come on. We'll, we'll leave uh, your information in the show notes below. Anyone else have questions for peak week, water manipulations or whatever, leave them down below. And Luke and I will make up answers for you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See y'all later.